This is the Portside Pod, the official podcast of the Stockton Ports. I'm the voice of the Ports, Alex Jensen, and on today's episode, it's part one of a two-part conversation with A's analyst and two-time All-Star and World Series champion, Ray Fossey. During these trying times, Chase Chevrolet is still open and here to serve you. With their Easy Pass service, you can shop online and have your new pre-owned vehicle delivered right to your door. Learn more at chasechevrolet.com slash easypass. It's a big day on the Portside Pod. Uh, we are welcoming a two-time All-Star, a two-time Gold Glove winner, a two-time World Series champion. This sounds a whole lot, Ray, like my uh, my intro <laughs> for you on, uh, on A's Cast Live, but he's Ray Fossey. Uh, joining us here on the Portside Pod, Ray. How are you? It's been it's been a, it's been a while since I've seen you face to face. Yeah, well, it's 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 great, and um, yes, that does sound exactly like the intro to uh, the show with Tony, hosted by the great Commander Cody, and um, are engineered by him. He's the boss, but uh, Tony never likes me to say that. But you do a great job on that, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing you with the Stockton Ports and doing some baseball when things get back to normal. So let's hope that sooner than later. I appreciate that, Ray. Let's let's hope it's sooner or later. And by the way, tip of the cap to uh, the commander, Cody Elias, who was our guest uh, a couple of weeks ago for helping us get this uh, get this all set up. And uh, and Ray, of course, thanks to you, man. It's uh, it's nice to talk to you. Of course, you're the A's analyst as well on on NBC Sports California. And I want to start here. Like I've I've watched almost every game on TV with with you and with you and Glenn when you know when I'm not listening on the radio uh, to the other guys. So. Let me ask you this, man. Like, how strange has it been for you to do your job this year? I mean, you're you're you know you're at a, a fanless coliseum. You're even there when the team's on the road. How has it been for you as a broadcaster this season? Thirty games at home, thirty on the road, and, and Alex, I'll tell you straightforward. At home, it's like a normal game, except no fans. The cutouts don't cheer. They they're smiling all the time. And uh, I, I saw a game in Chicago where it's pouring down rain and cutouts were still smiling in their seats, you know. But uh, I, I think the biggest difference is when the team is on the road because we, we being Glenn, and I have a huge monitor right in front of us. So we can't even see the field. And then there's an all-nine monitor next to us. The all-nine basically is a high home camera which shows us the entire field. But it's so tall, you can't really tell. You can tell when a runner runs on a 3-2 or whatever count. Uh, you could tell a shift, but you know it was it was designed primarily primarily to be able to see the trailing runners and see how the defense is set up. But uh, it's totally different. And to be honest, I find myself occasionally peeking around the monitor to look on the field, but then I realize tarps on the field. The sprinklers come on at 7 p.m. regularly, and there's nobody there. And between Michael Baird, Ken, and Vince on the radio side, and then Glenn and me and and uh, Delaire, they're all the guys on the truck, and then usually Joe McCarthy's upstairs with us. And, you know, it, it, it's eerily quiet. That I think that's the biggest thing when the team's on the road. And I can understand why we don't travel, because they have enough, even umpires are traveling with the ball club, and, and they have uh, an extended number of players who are going because of the taxi squad in case there's an injury. Uh, they have all the trainers who are going. Uh, so, so I can understand that. And to be very honest with you, uh, while I, I enjoy the traveling and seeing, you know, the, the, the various ballparks, I, I'm accustomed to the cities after the number of years I've played and broadcast. So that doesn't really bother me. But I, I think the biggest thing, the nicest thing is every game I come home to my own bed and my wife. So it's, uh, yeah. it, it's that way, it's that way, but it is different. And, and again, I'm hopeful 
you know, Alex, especially for people like yourself who had a job with the Stockton ports, the broadcast and minor league baseball shut down. Uh, we're, we're seeing the effect of uh, the, the Coliseum concessionaires and the, the mm-hmm. hot dog hawkers and different things like that, who work basically at the Coliseum and at Oracle Park straight through all summer. And that's their livelihood for the, for the whole year. And that's been shut down. I feel badly for them. At least we get to work. But it is different, no doubt. It is crazy. I mean, just the far-reaching effects this whole thing has had on 2020. Like, as you mentioned, like beyond the sports world, yeah. uh, you know, you guys are obviously feeling it, you know, having your, your jobs change. But you know, I think that's an important point that you bring up. I mean, we, you know, we talk an awful lot about baseball here, but it really does reach beyond, you know, even in relation to baseball. As you mentioned, the concession stands, the people that, uh, you know, take your money in the parking lot. I mean, all these, yeah. this, it's, it's far-reaching. It really is. Well, and, you know, when we go to the park and, and this weekend, the club will be playing the Padres and we get our temperatures checked and there's security guards there. We have to go through the protocols to go into the mm-hmm. stadium and the security guards are there. And I, I know them and I say, why are you here? And they said to keep people out because <laughs> because pe- people will try to get in. And I just saw a game in Philadelphia where fans were outside the stadium and they positioned themselves. I guess they have bars like a wrought iron fence. And they position themselves to watch the game outside the stadium and, and to cheer for, for the Phillies. So, uh, but as far as getting inside the stadium, uh, there, there are different things that Major League Baseball has uh, really demanded that the club not do. And, and we're considered tier three, which basically uh, all the broadcasters, and we go, to the, we go through the upper level, we go into the press box. All the media people are downstairs. Uh, they're not even upstairs where they normally are in the press box. So it's really isolated. And, um, you yeah. know, when, when the team, team is at home, they have box lunches. When they're on the road, we're on our own. You know, we, we have to bring our wow. own food. And so, you know, I'm, I'm back to making sandwiches like I did for our kids when they were younger and home. So, uh, you know, it's, it, <laughs> I, I have to eat. You know, I can't, I can't starve and uh, try to do the game. So it, it, it's totally different. And to be honest again, after all these years to have it uh, be like this, I, I just hope I don't go out this way because uh, I enjoy what I do. And, um, you know, who, who knows what's going to happen. And let's just hope in the future and, and, it may, and you, you know, maybe football this fall, maybe that's going to be the determining factor because if they play, uh, it sounds like the NFL is, and if they have fans in the stands, I think it's going to gradually get back to having people back in some normalcy and, and I hope in spring training from baseball standpoint, because Alex, let's not forget that in December of 21, the collective bargaining agreement expires for major yeah. baseball. And, you know, there's already, let's hope they're talking already and they don't have a, a work stoppage because I would, uh, I would hate to think that in 22, there's going to be some disagreement and there's not going to be baseball when normally there would be baseball you know, and I can understand if there's a pandemic or whatever, but uh, that's why I think 21 is important. Or, or yeah, 21 is important, and they can talk and get ready for 22 without any work stoppage. Totally agree, and that's kind of looming, like you said, in 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 the near future, right? I mean, you you could go through a scenario, Ray, where you don't have a, a 162 game schedule between the years 2019 and 2022. I mean, that would be wild. It would be it would be crazily wild, and, and I know Matt Pearl, uh, who's in charge of the broadcasting end for radio and TV, he just sent out the, the amended schedule because we lost mm-hmm. the game in in Houston on uh, they played a doubleheader Saturday, so we did those, which is for Friday and Saturday, 
lost a game in Texas on Thursday, lost a game on Sunday. They postponed the three games in Seattle. So now he has to revise everything as far as who's working, you know, how the doubleheaders are going to be played. And, you know, it, it really creates an issue because I think Major League Baseball wants to play as close to the 60 games as possible. Now, I think in the Bay Area, we're okay because any rain that occurs would probably be more towards November, December, January. So I think we're okay. Uh, and, and the fact that Houston has a retractable dome, Seattle has the dome, LA, Anaheim, Colorado's question mark, the A's who played two games there. But I think by and large, it's okay. But if you start looking at the Midwest and East, like the Cardinals, they had a shutdown because of the COVID-19. At one time, they'd only played five games or six games, and everybody else had been close to 20. So all of a sudden, they have to play 12 doubleheaders before the season yeah. ends. Now, if they get down to where it's 57-58, I think Major League Baseball, while they probably will not have opportunity to play the rest of those games after the regular season ends on the 27th of September, uh, I think they'll go by the winning percentage, and that will determine basically the eight teams in each league. You had a 12-year big league career, Ray. Put yourself in, in the shoes of the players here in, 20, in in 2020. You know, you mentioned the A's schedule, and I did the math this morning, including that Houston doubleheader that just got moved to, I think it's next week, not this coming week, but next week, or maybe the week after. Either way, it's 16 games in 13 days starting on Friday. We're, we're recording this on, on Wednesday, uh, September 2nd, but starting on Friday – 16 games in 13 days. What do you think this is like for the players this 2020? To be honest, Alex, it shouldn't affect them at all. Uh, I, I think there's too much emphasis put on rest. Uh, oh, we can't, we can't play day game after night game. We can't do – I mean, I, I didn't know that in 1973 – and, and to, listen, I was traded from Cleveland where I knew we had hopes of winning, but knew we had no chance of winning. You know, I mean, we would always yeah. think about it. But whenever I played in 73, my first year with the A's, I didn't know until Jason Kendall joined the club and they had a little box in the bio and the media guy or the um, press guide, press uh, uh, media guide that said consecutive games started to start the season. I started the first 50 games in 1973. I didn't know that because we were winning and it's a matter of let's, let's play. I don't care. Let's just go. And um, so, so I, I think, I think what happens today it's between the ears. It's between protecting players. Um, and and the, the thing I don't like is seven inning doubleheaders. Because when we did yeah. the doubleheader against the Astros, I'm looking at that. I'm going, wait a minute. This is a sixth inning. It's over one inning unless the A's come back. But, you know, it really helps a lot of cl uh, clubs who don't have that bridge, the middle relievers, to be able to get to the closer. So they can go six innings with a starter, assuming they have a lead, go straight to the closer for the seventh inning. And that's what the Astros did with uh, Ryan Presley. And they, he saved both ends of the doubleheader. 14 innings. And Maldonado caught both ends. They go, oh, that's great. Really? It's 14 innings. You know, they, they, what's the big deal about that? You know, so I, I think, listen, if you want to win, it, you're going to play. And Marcus Simeon had to be devastated to uh, miss the second game of the doubleheader and break his consecutive games played streak. I mean, nobody's going to reach Cal Ripken Jr. It never happened uh, at the 26-32. But, but I, I think, Listen, there, there's going to be a world champion. They're going to play in October because there's a lot of money riding on the network from the owner standpoint. The owners are losing a lot of money. And, yeah. and if I'm a player, I want to play as many games as possible because if you're a free agent and already the market's probably going to be diluted in the offseason because of the money that's lost by the owners. And again, as we talked about, you go into 21 
and there are no fans in the stands possibly or a reduced number of fans and there's not a lot of revenue generated there, there's going to be more losses. And, and, I, and, and, you know, say what you want about the value of a club. And this is what irritates me. Well, it's worth X and it's continuing to go up. Yeah, it's like a stock. If you sell it, you might make money. But what are the losses that you incur during the time that you own the club? And right. I think of the Haas family. When the Haas family owned the club, I think they purchased it from Charlie Finley for something like ten or eleven million dollars. They sold it for seventy-four. And people said, Well, they made sixty-three million dollars. No, they lost thirty million every year they owned the club. So, <laughs> you know, you put the put the math to it, you know, you're not making money. You're basically getting some back, but you've lost a lot of money. So, you know, people say you can write it off against other businesses, but you know, yes, uh, valuations are going up. But that's only if you sell. And again, uh, how, how much are you incurring in debt while you're trying to get to that point of possibly selling? It's the perfect time to purchase a new car today at Chase Chevrolet. Take advantage now of model year-end inventory reduction prices and supplier pricing on select 2019 vehicles. You can always count on Chase Chevrolet for the best prices, best service, and easiest car buying experience. And now, back to our episode. You you mentioned you know some of these new rules like the the seven inning doubleheader and and you know it, it it can mask some deficiencies in clubs. Do you think that the sixty game season can do the same for certain clubs? I mean, mask some of those deficiencies. I mean, we're really talking about a sprint. This is no longer a marathon, right? I, I agree, hon, one hundred percent. I think last year, early in the season, the Seattle Mariners, the A's, could not beat them. They got off to a great start, and you picture the Mariners last year doing the same thing this year. They're not, but it's, you know, because they're unloading even more players. But I think you're seeing clubs like the Marlins. The Marlins are buyers. They were buyers at the trading deadline. Uh, you, you have clubs like the Orioles. Yeah, and, and you're saying, wait a minute, we have a chance to get the postseason. We could be, we have a chance to be one of eight teams. We have to go for it. And, and you're seeing a, a multitude. I, there were more trades in the deadline than I thought would ever occur uh, just because of the 60-game schedule. But I agree with you that, you know, you could get hot for a short period of time, but over the course of 162, you're playing essentially a little bit, uh, a little bit less than one third of the season, and you could have a tremendous year. And you're almost to the point that in this sprint, you better get close to 40 wins to win out and be a part of the postseason picture. And ideally, you want to be the division leader. And the Astros, um, you know, while the A's are not playing, the Astros are. And now you start rooting for the team the Astros are playing. You know, yep. so, you know, you can pick up a half a game every time the Astros lose or you can lose a half a game when they win. But, uh, no, I, I think a lot of masking has been done. But, you know, Alex, I think going into 2020, the A's felt, as Billy Bean and, and um, David Forrest talked about, Bob Melvin, the team was set. They had, unfortunately, two years back-to-back, 18 and 19, where they lost the wild card play-in game. They were not even concerned about the wild card 2020. This was in spring training before everything shut down. They were thinking World Series. It's almost like the Yankees having won 27 World Championships. You know, they think about World Series. They don't think about just getting into postseason where a lot of clubs do that. But I, I still say once you get in, as the old saying goes, you get on the dance floor. If, you, if your team gets hot, anything can happen. And, and the fact that the first round is three games – and if you have the better record, you're hosting those games. And while it's not home field advantage, let's say for the A's, it is because the Coliseum is a pitcher's park. And it, it's conducive to some of the A's pitchers the A's have, like Mike Pires, for example, being a fly ball pitcher. You put mm -hmm. him in another park, maybe those fly balls are home runs, whereas the Coliseum with a foul territory, 
and the fact the ball doesn't travel as well as some other parks, those are out. So, you know, there is an incentive to play well, to win, but you're right. There are some clubs that just hopefully get in, be one of eight, and hope they get hot and take it from there. When it comes to the postseason, there, there is a rumor going around that there may be a postseason bubble, which would be, I think, in L.A., what one would be, and one would be in Arlington. Uh, so how, how does that change things, especially from the A's perspective when, when you get to the postseason? I mean, you've already got the expanded postseason with eight teams making yeah. it from each league, uh, which makes sense, I, you know, I suppose, in a shorter season. But now you're talking about maybe not even having home field advantage. So, you know, how much does how much does seating will if that if that bubble plays out, Ray, if that actually happens, will seating matter as much as it would normally? I'm assuming no. Uh, no, it does not. And and I and to your point, I don't think the bubble will occur until the league championship series, the World Series. Okay. Because I think the the the, the first round three games they're going to be played in the in one park. The visiting team will travel. They'll say the three games will be played. The division series is a five game. And I could envision that as being perhaps the best record. But then you have the visiting team being the home team. Uh, just like when the makeup game with the Astros is going to be played at the Coliseum, the Astros will be the home team. And just recently, the Mets won a walk-off game, uh, walk-off win at Yankee Stadium. Well, well wait, wait, how's that happen? Well, it's because <laughs> the Mets were the home team. So, you know, I think that will happen. But uh, I've heard those things well that uh, once you get the league championship series, that's a seven-game series. The other is a three and a five. I don't believe those will happen with a bubble because of the number yeah. of teams. But you get down to two teams numerically, two teams nationally, pick a bubble, one spot, they play those games, and then pick a side for the World Series. And that's where it's going to be played. So it's a neutral site. Uh, I, I think Scott Boros has said, you know, the Super A has said, you know, why don't they play the the, the, um, uh, the World Series like they do the Super Bowl in a neutral site? You can't be that unfair to your fans. Fans support you all season. And you go to the World Series, even playoffs at all. I mean, this year is different. But if you go to the postseason, you want your fan support because they've supported you all season. And you can't take that away from them just to make yeah. more money, you know, if that's the case. But uh I think there will be a bubble uh, as, because as you approach the end of October, let, let's say you're back in the Midwest the East, you could have snow uh, and you don't want that to happen. You want the season to end on the 27th of September and you want the, the postseason to end no later than whatever is scheduled to be October 31st or something like that. And the only way you can do that probably is to guarantee a bubble. Uh, someplace where you know you're going to play every day, and that's that's going to be an important thing. There are no fans in the stands, so I, yeah. I don't think that's going to be a, a problem. It's just whatever the type of park you have, it may change your rotation as who starts based on the conditions of that particular park where the bubble is set up. Hey, before we get to some of the nuts and bolts of the 2020As and kind of your thoughts on how the season is going, Ray, um, and how they pick things up after this week-long layoff, uh, I want to get your feel, your your opinion on some of these rules, these experimental rules that are in place for for 2020, and even new rules that would have been in place beforehand. You know, I mean, we're talking a runner on second base in extra innings, the designated hitter in the National League. Uh, you know, pitchers facing three batters or more. You know, a minimum of three batters unless they finish the inning, of course. The expanded playoffs. You know, are there any of these rules that stand out to you? I mean, which ones do you like? Which ones don't you like? And which ones do you think maybe are here to stay? I think the one that hopefully doesn't stay is the seven inning doubleheader. And, and Alex, I say that because 
when I played, and it's going back a while, we played double headers because we didn't draw a lot of people. Whether you know whether you won or not, you just didn't draw people. So we play double headers. You get an extra off day. Nowadays, the gate is so important that you do not want to have a double header to allow people to be able to say two for the price of one, because essentially that's what it is. You have one gate. So I'm I would assume that that will be something. I mean, they're doing that this year, from what I understand, to minimize the length of the games to be able to play the double headers. And I think the Cardinals might have mentioned before have played have to play 12 doubleheaders, which, you know, to play 18 or nine inning games, you know, that, that's, that's very hard on them. But uh, I, I hope the runner at second base doesn't start, uh, continue. I believe the DH is going to be universal. I think that's something that was going to be considered maybe not for 21, but in the CBA after, uh, for 22 and going forward, I think probably that was going to happen. And there's one other, Alex, that Tom Verducci, who is with, Fox and, you know, notable writer. And he said in spring training in Mesa that he had verification that after the 21 season and the CBA, there's going to be the computerized strike zone. And I don't, <laughs> I don't even need to get your thoughts on that one, Ray. I know uh, exactly no, 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 I, I, no, I, you know, the fact <laughs> when I read that the umpires had signed off on that, I said, no, you have to be kidding me. Because the great thing about baseball, you have the individualization of umpires. You have you have to know as a pitcher the umpires, high strike zone, low strike zone. You know it's different. Everybody's different in the way they call a game, the positioning behind the catcher. So you take that away, the, the umpire has to be there because he has to make the call at the plate. He has to rule on various things. So he's there, but he's waiting. I'm assuming on a buzz, you know, for strike or ball, and that's the way it's going to be called. And I think it was Frank Viola uh, was uh, coaching in independent baseball where they tried it, and he was ejected by the computer because he argued right. balls and strikes, you know, because they called it a strike on a pitch that the catcher caught in the dirt. And he said, that can't be a strike. And they said the computer did, and they, they ejected him. So, um, but, you know, the, the thing that, that, well, it doesn't bother me, but I think it, it's just like our country. How many things are changing because of the, the, the pandemic, the COVID-19 and, you know, schools shut down, businesses closing and, and restaurants. And I mean, there's so many things that are happening that I feel so badly for people out of jobs and, and you know, having to, having to take away not only their job as a husband, but maybe a wife, two people working, schools closing down so somebody has to take care of the kids. But in baseball, I, I think there's some things that are happening 2020 that it's kind of a test market and rather yeah. than do it at the independent level which is independent based on just like the word says it's not affiliated with major league baseball professional baseball and they try these things now they're getting to try them at the major league level mm -hmm. and you know the uniqueness of a runner at second base and in extra innings yeah yeah the a's have won five and, and i think bob melvin has done a great job using liam Hendricks and and joaquin soria you know basically two closers one for the ninth in Soria and then the 10th inning, uh, depending what happens with uh, with Liam Hendricks. And, you know, the first game that the A's played, uh, or the first extra inning, it was a 13-inning game against the Astros. So nobody could score to, to win the game. But, um, you know, I, I just hope that they play the game out. And if it requires a position player, then shame on the, the, the managers. I think the three batter minimum might reduce the possibility of a position player pitching. Because, you know, I, I, I caught myself in Houston, uh, when the club was in Houston, 
I looked down at my scorebook and and I said, well, so and so has to face, and I went, oops, nope, you got to face the third <laughs> guy too, you know. But see, that was going to be implemented in spring training, but baseball was shut down before they did it, so they basically are using it now. Um, but you know, the, the, I just think there are some things that are happening now that uh, we'll we'll carry forward. But I think the one would be the universal DH because let's be honest. You, you take 13 pitchers times 30. You have almost 400 pitchers in Major League Baseball. You could probably count on one, maybe two hands, those who can hit, that are take pride in their hitting, like Zach Greinke, who's numerically doesn't hit, Madison Bumgarner, who can, Clayton Kershaw. Um, you know, I mean, I can't think of many. I don't know that many. But I, I think Universal DH, while it then becomes nine batters, uh, whereas the National League with, the DA, or with no DH pitcher hitting, it's essentially pitcher – has to get through seven batters because he can pitch around the eighth, eighth place hitter, get to the pitcher. So, you know, I, I think that's going to be a standard. Uh, I'm hopeful that the umpire uh, behind home play still calls balls and strikes, which, you know, who yeah. knows what's going to happen there. But, uh, you know, some of the others, I, I just, uh, I'm hopeful that uh, they're, they're just for 2020 and we get back to normal 162 game schedule and normal rules of the game of baseball. I'm glad you brought up the computerized strike zone because obviously that's been experimented even in the Arizona Fall League uh, right. with, with the top prospects a year ago. As a catcher, I like speak to this because what bothers me most about the computerized strike zone is it takes away a skill set, you know, of a catcher's ability to receive. Uh, you mentioned mm. the individual individualization of the of the umpires. I, I totally agree with that as well. I mean, it, it goes into uh, you're, you know, doing your homework with who's behind the plate that night. But as a catcher, you know, speak to the skill set that you're eliminating when you go to a computerized strike zone. Well, first and foremost, framing is something that everybody's making a big issue about. But I don't consider when a ball is two inches off the ground, the catcher brings the ball in the strike zone. That's not framing. That's cheating. I've said it on the air. Right. So I, I, yeah. this is nothing out of normal, you know. And because, you know, everything is taken that way. And I've said to and I'll mention his name because Eddie Montague is an umpire supervisor. He's a great guy. We see him at the Coliseum under normal circumstances. And I tell him, I said, Eddie, if I see an umpire, wait until the catcher brings the, the ball back in the strike zone before he calls a ball or strike. And especially if he calls a strike, I'm going to rip him because he's not watching the ball cross the plate. And see, catchers do that, and they're considered great framers. Well, you take a computerized strike zone, you might as well just really catch the ball. That's all you have to do because the computer is going to tell you, especially east and west, outside, inside, up and down. I don't see – well, they said it's going to be like a three-dimensional um, computerized whatever system because let, let's say you take Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton, just two in the American League that I know of, and Jose Altuve, you know, the height differential. Now, mm -hmm. again, side to side, east and west, that's one thing, but you go north and south, how are you going to do that? Evidently, they've talked about it, and they can they can do that. But uh, I, I just believe that, uh, you know, when I caught, we didn't have all this stuff, and I would split the outside part of the plate. And I had pitchers, especially with Oakland, that if they hit the target, I may be three inches off the plate. But because of the uh, uh, the umpire knowing that the pitcher had the reputation of throwing strikes, because I didn't move, it was a strike. Now, what catchers seem to do now is set up in the middle of the plate, and then as they're getting ready to pitch or throw the ball, they move. Well, if you know where you're going to call the pitch, set up there so you don't have to move. And I, I think that's where you see a lot of movement behind the plate. That's where 
I think catchers at times will tip pitches themselves because of the way they move behind the plate. And, and a hitter can feel that. A hitter can feel a catcher moving inside. He can actually see him move outside. But uh, I think it's going to take away from, like you said, the, the job of catching the ball properly. And I say properly, mm-hmm. not cheating, catching the ball properly, keeping it. I mean, if it's, a, if it's low, catch it low, throw it back to the pitcher. Don't bring it back and, and hope the umpire causes a strike. Because um, Alex, there was a catcher, Kenji Jojima, with the Seattle Mariners, came over from uh, Japan. And I remember Jamie Moyer was pitching. And Jamie Moyer was a finesse pitcher. And he, he kept throwing these pitches that at the knees, at the corners, and they were called balls. And so Jamie was upset. And I remember talking to him the next day. I said, Jamie, go watch the video of your catcher. He took every strike that you threw, and the ball ended up on the dirt. In the dirt. He basically used the dirt to stop the ball. He caught mm-hmm. the ball, slammed it in the ground, and stopped it. And I said, while there are strikes, the umpire is going to get tired of hearing the other side, in this case, the A's dugout, yelling, what are you doing? What are you doing? And he's going to start calling them balls. And Jamie came back and said, you're right. I said, I know I'm right. Because, you know, he just, he, instead of catching the ball properly, he caught it with the palm down and the ball went straight down. And next thing you know, the ball's in the dirt or on the ground. And the umpire says, strike. And the, and the A's are screaming at him because they're looking at the side. They're watching the end result. And so that's where a catcher can take the ball and catch it properly and get a strike. But if you go to the computer, it's done. There's no way you can do anything, especially the plate is 17 inches wide. And if they put the computer on the corner, 17 inches, there, there may not even be a ball off the plate. And, you know, because now typically an umpire would take one, the, the width of a baseball off the plate, and that's a strike. And, and that's pretty much it. And there's just something, like you said, there's an art form to the chemistry in the battery, you know, between the, yeah. the, the pitcher and the catcher. And that's being completely yeah. eliminated if you implement a, yeah. a, an electronic strike zone. I agree 100%. I, I really do because, uh, you know, it, it's just something about the, uh, taking the, the, the umpire. You know, they rotate, you know, around the bases. Umpire behind the plate goes to third, mm-hmm. second, first, and, you know, they rotate. So, you know, I remember and have read many times of pitchers. He'll say, okay, so-and-so is behind the plate. He's got this strike zone. And, and I remember when Ron Darling pitched for the A's and he was a sinker ball pitcher and the umpire didn't call the low strike. And I said, Ron's in trouble because he has to rely on the sinker, start at the knees and hope to get strikes uh, from the swings. And now the umpire doesn't call it. He's got to elevate the pitch, takes away the sink. He gets hit. And, you know, there are some pitchers who are like that. So, uh, you, you take away that individualiz- individualization from an umpire, I, I think it really takes away from the game, and that's what we don't want to see. There are enough changes already with the catcher's rule, no blocking, the runner at second base or the middle infielder. I mean, those are bad enough, and now you're starting doing this other, these other things. It, it's completely changing. Be on the lookout for part two of my conversation with Ray coming on Friday.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Portside Pod. If there are topics or interview subjects you'd like to hear on future episodes, tweet at me, at ajensen86. The Portside Pod is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other platforms, as well as at our home, anchor.fm slash stockton-ports. You can also visit the Ports website at stocktonports.com and follow the Ports on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and other social media platforms. Until next time, I'm Alex Jensen. Please stay safe, and we'll talk to you on the next episode of the Portside Pod.